0: Hi. Before this week's episode, there's a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. First off, due to Skype, the the internet and my own incompetence, the audio quality of this week's episode is not the best, so apologies for that. Secondly, this is not an E3-related episode, but as Joe mentions during the cast, there will be a Big Red Potion E3 special going up next week, recorded at E3, and with whatever guests Joe can rustle up at the conference, so look out for that next Monday. The final bit of housekeeping comes courtesy of the Unified Gamers Network, who are looking for listeners to record a soundbite that promotes and explains the network, and that will be used as the official UGN jingle in every single Unified Gamers Network podcast. So head over to the UGN website at unifiedgamersnetwork.com for more details on the network, and then send in your entries to feedback at crankygamersuk.com, and the winning entry will be used as the official UGN jingle. Right. Oh, uh, by the way, this is Big Red Potion. The Game Reviews, and now part of the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that overwrites your save files and deletes all your high scores. As ever, I'm your insurmountable host, Sinan Kuba, staff writer and associate editor for The Game Reviews. And joining me me this week from the west coast of the US, where he's getting ready for a small gaming get-together, which you might be familiar with, it's the man who puts the No More into No More Heroes, TGR Previews Director, Joseph D'Elia. So, uh, Joe, how is L.A.? Oh, it's great.
1: I mean, it's a dream for me because every block has so many Mexican food restaurants, and I've been eating so many tacos. Oh, man, I am so full right now, and I just woke up.
0: (laughs) That's the perfect combination, full of tacos, just woken up, (laughs) ready for podcasting.
1: Absolutely.
0: Excellent. OK, well, in case you're wondering uh, whether you're in for a pre-E3 Big Red Potion special, you're not. Uh, we're not going to do that. Well, at least not until next week. So uh, for this week, we're going to be diverting our efforts to a grander cause. Uh, what we're going to be doing is asking what may seem like a simple enough question, but is actually probably going to produce some quite complicated discussion. And that question is, what is a video game? It may be superficially, like I say, a simple enough question, but underneath it lies years of debate, disagreement and uncertainty people have found it difficult enough to define what a game is on its own, let alone what exactly constitutes a video game. The dictionary definition states that a video game is an electronic or computerised game played by manipulating images on a video display or television screen, but as games broaden their scope and technology allows for a menagerie of functions, is this definition really all-encompassing? Wii Fit is being sold on a video game console, but is it really a video game or a piece of self-help software? Do actual reality games sit within this dictionary definition of video games? What about interactive DVDs? What about virtual reality games? What makes something a video game and something else not? Well, joining me and Joe to answer those questions and help us present our own definition of a video game are two guests from two very thoughtful podcasts. Big Red Patient listeners will be already be familiar with Eddie Inzato, but since his last appearance on the show, Eddie has launched Game of Nodes vs. Node with last week's guest Christos Reed. Thankfully, he's not too busy to spend some time with us this week, so it's a hearty welcome back to you, Mr. Enzato.
2: Thank you. It's great to be back. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not not too bad. Uh, very excited about this episode uh, and uh, looking forward to get to it. So, uh, our second guest this week is Trevor Dodge, the second member of the literary trio behind First World Rebate to join us on this podcast. Trevor is also managing editor for Chiasmus Press and teaches, amongst other things, amongst other things, game studies at Clackamas Community College. Trevor is yet another member of the gaming mecca of Portland, Oregon. So, uh, I which we only just found out pre-show, which amazes me. I think must be like 50% of the guests on the show are actually from that area. So, uh, anyway, it's a pleasure to welcome you, welcome you onto the show, Trevor, and many thanks for joining us today.
3: Oh, absolutely, it's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, you know, especially considering how uh, Big Red Potion has, I mean, bar none, the best intro music bumper. Just. <laughs> Hands down, I hear that every week, and I'm, I'm ready to rock every time I hear it. So thanks for having um,
0: me. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. I'm a big fan of the music myself. It's uh, Derek K. Miller who provides it, and uh, universally that's the first compliment we get, and sometimes the only compliment. So. <laughs> um, oh, no. Uh, uh, it's fine. It's better to have one compliment than none. So, but, uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Trevor. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do before getting on to that main discussion of defining a video game is... Uh, Provide a prologue mainly on the casual shift and the resurgence of self-help and educational games. And uh, really in short to consider whether things like We Fit, EA Sports Active, Personal Trainer Cooking, are they bending the definition of a video game? So I'll, I'll start to Joe with a very direct question. Is We Fit a video game, Joe? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, as a yes or no
1: question, I suppose yes, because there are gamey aspects to it. There are, I believe, some mini games in the game. I've never played it, but I've heard there's some mini games in there, and there's a bunch of other little things. But the core software that's behind it certainly isn't a game. It's just pretty much the same thing as an exercise DVD that you can sort of kind of interact with a little bit. So, no, I would say on a whole, as a whole, no, but there is some gaminess to it.
0: Could you elaborate on what you mean by gamey aspects?
1: Well, I mean, you know, It's kind of like, um, I suppose a comparison would be to the, the upcoming Watchmen Blu-ray that I heard about where the Watchmen Blu-ray also contains the two Watchmen games on the disc and you can kind of play them if you want. So, I mean, the Watchmen Blu-ray disc itself isn't a game, but there is a game on it. And we Fit, technically, it's the core software that you buy it for really isn't a game, but there's also the balance board mini games that are on the same disc that you can play. So, I don't know if I'd classify the whole package as a game because... What you're, you know, what most people are buying it for really isn't that aspect of it.
2: I feel like the, the main intention for having Wii Fit may not be as a game, but considering the software that's included, like you have uh, the games where you have to headbutt soccer balls and things like that, considering all that, I would say that I'd have to call it a, a game, a video game.
3: Yeah, I think that maybe we're being a little bit too particular and mysterious up front here um, because it's interesting we're trying to make this distinction between like an exercise platform and a video game, like those are separate things. Mm. And to me, I'm, I'm really interested in the sort of semantics of these terms anyway. And, you know, an exercise it sounds very much like a game anyway. If we exercise, you know, our bodies, we are um, essentially playing a game. Like, you know, we're not getting enough physical activity in our normal daily life, and so we go to a gym or, you know, we, we run around the block or, you know, now we pop in a, a, a virtual um, experience. And, the you know, the motion that goes along with that is uh, uh, sort of training the body to do something that it isn't normally doing itself. And I guess where part of this is coming from is we had uh, – Mackenzie Wark on our show uh, a few weeks ago, and something that uh, his, his book Gamer Theory really uh, set in motion in terms of my own uh, ideas about, about games and the definitions of them, where he sort of postulates in here that, that there isn't anything outside of the game, um, that you can't separate life and game at all. And, um, a quote that I, I just have it actually up in front of me because it's uh, so uh, sort of present to the co- discussion. Uh, Wark writes that games are no longer a pastime outside or alongside of life. They are now the very form of life and death and time itself. And so when we talk about Something like We Fit. It seems like we're trying to like dial into something really specific and to like split hairs. But if I think we're being more honest about it, you know, the, the whole enterprise is is obviously very ludic, and uh, you know, it, the the game of of your life is kind of at the center of that. Make your life better by by doing these little exercises. Absolutely. I mean, you're quite right.
0: It's a very uh vague question to throw up in, into the opening and that i did it very specifically because i want to return to it at the end of the discussion after we've considered all these semantic definitions of what a video game is and uh, certainly the idea of a game existing inside and outside of reality is going to come up with one of these definitions and uh and whether a game is a subset of play or play is a subset of game is is also going to come up, and I guess that relates to what you're saying about exercise and and play. If uh, if I'm getting your your thoughts correct.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the um, I guess it's the medium that we're we're having the, the sort of fine toothed discussion about, but uh, you know, the notion that you're going to sort of pretend to lift weights or pretend to, to step alongside with, uh, you know, virtual characters. Um, I'm not sure how that's at all separate from, you know, playing a sniper in Call of Duty 4 or something like that. That's still this kind of role in, and, uh, I don't know, um, the fantasy that you're inhabiting. You know, you're not really there.
0: Sure. I mean, do you think, Eddie, that when it comes to Wii Fit and, you know, it, it's just recently well it's coming up to breaking a record in the UK for being at the number one spot of the video game charts for the most number of times effectively being the Brian Adams of uh, of video games <laughs> I think it is. Um, <laughs> and it, it's as uh, I guess despised as much by the core as, as Brian Adams song was, um, I guess what I'm, I'm asking, do you think it's a bit of elitism uh, amongst gamers that ha, ha, has the backing behind us wanting to maybe consider the redefinition of video games and, and the exclusion of Wii Fit
2: uh absolutely. I think um we want I mean a lot of gamers want to sort of make uh our pastime very selective and only let in what we feel is up to par with what we've grown up with. So maybe these more application like pieces of software we just want to kick aside and say oh no no no! that's that's not a real game and uh just go on with our pastime as we know it so yeah there's definitely some elitism
0: sure well what do you think Giro? do you think it's it's strictly elitism or is there do you think gamers fear that there's actually something more being lost that it's not that they're losing their identity but that gaming is maybe losing something to this casual shift beyond that
1: No, I mean yeah, a lot of hardcore and old school gamers have kind of been worried about this for a while, that the popularity of the Wii is going to somehow encroach on what they have been playing for the past twenty years and you know get rid of you know hardcore quote unquote games. But I mean I think it's I think it's a lot of that. I think it's a lot of people not really considering that, you know, video games could be more than they have been for the past two decades and that there is these other genres that, that you know would involve a lot more people that developers could explore, and I think that's like why a lot of Wii Fit backlash has been, you know, on that Wii Music, especially the backlash against that has just been enormous. So I think it's just more pickheadedness from the old-school gamers who don't really want to accept these new type of games just because it wasn't meant for them to begin with, and not so much that, you know, these games are awful and they should be banished from the Earth because they're like, Satan-spawn
3: that seems about right to me joe that you know people sort of get trapped in their own likes and dislikes especially here in the united states we are a burger king world you know have it your way we're told every day that that's that's the that's the world that we live in and so Absolutely. when there's something that's that's out there that very clearly isn't for us. It's not so much as oh well you know this is for other people and that's okay. A lot of times we take it as a personal affront. It's like well that has absolutely no value to me, so I, I have to you know act out somehow or, or say something insipid about it um, because the world needs to be made in my own my own image almost you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely
2: yeah. It's like we wouldn't we wouldn't go ahead and say if we're action movie fans we wouldn't go ahead and say that. Uh, animated films because we don't like them aren't movies they're just children's movies or you know anything like that why do we have to do it with video games
0: so do you guys think that there's no relevance and in, in terms of identity to defining video games is, is identity really something that shouldn't ever be considered when and you know in this discussion we're going to have is it is it completely irrelevant
3: the issues of identity are, are absolutely central because um they're the 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 places where we draw the lines between between what we think uh has relevance to our own lives and what doesn't and that's kind of on the tangent of where i was going earlier where you know if uh you know uh, joe you had mentioned earlier something about the the watchman um blu-ray is going to have you know these these games on it too and um you know that's a really interesting example to to start you know maybe playing with where uh, the the comic that that spawned that or you know inspired the movie um, are held as two kind of different things between the comic and the movie, and so there are lots of us um, probably present company especially here talking <laughs> included who uh, think that 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 uh, film like should have never ever been made, and so when um, our people are talking about the film, it's like. I want people to uh, sort of bounce back in an almost mirror image, like my own attitudes and my own value system. It's like, okay, so there's this thing out there in the culture that I, you know, I really don't think has any credibility, and so I'll say so, but that doesn't stop people from seeing it or, you know, people uh, or being successful, and it kind of leaves the individual with this, this, uh, I don't know, sort of decision about what to do. You know, do you like, you know? Cut off your friends list. You like uh, <laughs> you start unfriending people on Facebook because of this stupid movie that you don't like. Uh, other people do, and I wonder how much of uh, our own you know, insecurities is wrapped up in this uh, real fine tooth discussion about you know what's uh, what's a video game and what's not because we all very obviously care about these things, but when it comes down to um, getting into the nitty gritty of why you like them. It, we're kind of not there, I think, especially in this this culture here in this country, uh, to be able to verbalize um, why we like what we like. It's just like, you like it and that's good enough, and that's that's a little bit of a problem.
2: I think in, in saying what we like and what we don't like, it's fine to, to maintain our identity and to speak our mind, but when it comes to actually setting down a technical definition of what the medium is, I feel that individual identities have to be sort of put aside um so that we can figure out how to be most inclusive with all these new forms of the format just coming up you know as time goes on the the medium is expanding
0: sure i mean it is completely relevant that it is a very young medium and uh this is kind of one of the instigators, really, for this discussion. It's not just that, you know, the Wii Fit is making us consider what is a video game and what isn't, but that uh, what a video game is is probably changing every single year. Uh, and uh, that's reflected not just commercially, but in, in the diversity of genres and subjects and uh, forms that video games take. Uh, which I guess, we'll let's use that to lead us into the main discussion, which uh, what I've done is collected from... Uh, one of my favourite books on gaming, which is, uh, Katie Sell and Eric Zimmerman's Rule of Play, Rules of Play, sorry, uh, a collection of definitions for a game, not, not necessarily a video game, but just a game, and then a couple of definitions from a couple of game bloggers as well, on, more specifically on what is a video game, and, uh, what I'm gonna do is really just throw them at our guests and, uh, see what they can come up with with them, and see, see what they think, and, uh, maybe at the end of it we'll have our own stab at, at trying to, Consider what constitutes a video game and what doesn't, or maybe we'll all just uh, <laughs> be too terrified to add our own thoughts to to these uh, discussions. We'll we'll see. In any case, one of the first things that the, this chapter uh, discussed was uh, what I alluded to earlier: whether games are a subset of play, uh, or whether play is a subset of games. And that may not sound like a that may sound like a very semantic difference, but uh, I'll throw it to Trevor first of all. Do you think that that's important to distinguish, uh, the, the, the difference between a, what constitutes play and what constitutes a game?
3: Well, if we're talking about Zimmerman, um, I, if I'm understanding um, his argument correctly, which may be a stretch, but uh, play and, and game are not the same thing, at least uh, as far as the things that I've read of his. Um, there's an essay that he wrote for the first-person collection that came out from MIT Press a couple of years ago, and Um, I actually have his quote up here where he says that play is the free space of movement within a more rigid structure and exists both because of and also despite the more rigid structures of a system. So if we Mm -hmm. want to think of games as kind of architecture, right, that there's this thing that's been built and maybe narrative is at the center of that, um, play is something that's separate from, from that. It's the experience of that narrative. And so I think that's an important distinction that at least he would set up, or at least that's the way I understand it.
1: Um, well, I mean, play can really take on any connotation. It can it can mean you know, a certain amount of things. Whereas game, I think, is very specific and and, and defined into the, the genre of gaming. And I think that um, you know, with with gaming, especially today, there are so many different classifications of it. There's so many different ways that people can be a part of it. And the way that people play these things, of course, changes based on what they're playing. So um, I think. <clears throat> I think the game is just more of a... I, th- I think I believe it's that game is more of a subset of play, whereas play can mean any number of things, depending on what you're trying to do.
2: Um, I absolutely think that games are a subset of play, just because play is a very free activity, whereas a game is a more structured uh, engagement.
3: Well, well the Play the, Devil's advocate just a little bit. I mean, to sure. like uh, hold this up a bit. But uh, how much of... The game is dependent on the rule set that sort of builds it. I mean, is is there really such thing as as free worlds or um, you know play where you can do anything you want? We talk about this a lot with uh, like open world games or like sandbox type games. Where I experienced this within my own classes too, where we three weeks ago we finished uh, playing. Um, grand theft auto by city when we started playing it's like well you can do anything in here you can drive a car you can you walk on the sidewalk and or you can mug people or all these sort of things you can do but that's that's sort of the point of contention that i that i always try to raise is is that really true can you really do anything and is that what play is is play really freedom or is it um constricted by the rule sets that the the architecture or the architect i should say has, has built
2: if you're talking specifically about video games, then there is no play without a game for play to occur within. But if we're defining the words play and game, then play can exist without a game.
0: Sure, but the, um, even play itself has boundaries. Is what it, I think is what Trevor's alluding to, and that, or and that, uh, in some ways, that maybe, in a, in a sense,
3: constricts it, and really, they, I don't know. Uh, so, well, it seems to me that what's central to games isn't necessarily the idea of play, because I think to Eddie's points, well taken. You know that that uh, play can exist outside of games, and, and games maybe being a subset. I don't know if I necessarily quantify it that way, but it seems what makes games games are rule sets um, that you have. A lot of times very arbitrary rules that are that are um, imposed by the designer or by even the narrative um, you will be this character and these are the options that you have um and this is the world that you that you are going to inhabit and these are the physics that, uh, that govern that world and here's you know some things to do in it but everything's been kind of curtailed and this maybe would uh, uh bring me into the, the like the theories of someone like uh, jesper yule who in his book a uh, half real um uh basically explains that that uh, games are a marriage of fiction and rules that in order to, to have a game system um, in place, you need both of those things operating so that they're you know, rule-based systems that have these fictional components and then are, um, let's see if I can say this correctly, are uh, attachments to how we attach value, I'm sorry, to those um, experiences has a lot to do with how much we believe the fiction or how much we want to believe it.
2: So would you say that there doesn't necessarily have to be play within games?
3: I think that play probably exists um, within mm-hmm. all game structures. I'm not necessarily um, convinced that that's what makes a game a game, though. Um, right. It's kind of like a, a byproduct of this combination of of the rule sets with the fiction if we're going to take Yule's argument at face value.
0: Sure. I mean, I, I think, to go again, to go again with again to be a bit devil's advocate, I think I would say play is a subset of games. And I think why I'd argue that is with any play even if it may not seem that there are rules to it there are rules even if they are constantly evolving even if they are changing you know if we just can save the idea of two children uh free roaming in the park and just you know attacking each other with swords it may not seem that there are rules in that play but that there are rules you have there are the rules of reality to start off with there are the the, the rules that are created, you know, if, if the kid hits another kid with a sword and he decides that that means that he's beaten the other kid, then that is the creation of a rule in, in one sense. And I, I I wonder if there really is a def, like, like um, Trevor's saying, there really is the idea of a, a free play where, where nothing, there are no boundaries to the play at all.
2: And that also uh, comes back to what Trevor said earlier about separating game from life in general it seems what you're saying is along the same lines that game and life are equivalent Uh,
3: yeah that's the way i understand yeah that's the way i understand work's argument anyway is that uh, there is no separation between the two and you think about the games that we play every day um we may not call them games but they are very much have arbitrary rule sets that, that govern them like for me you know i i teach and Um, I have a group of students that I meet with on Tuesdays and Thursdays from, say, 1 o'clock to to 2 o'clock. That's very arbitrary, just this day and this day for this amount of time. And in this amount of space, we're going to be nice to each other, and we're going to um, have a conversation, and you're going to be quiet while while I'm speaking, and I'll try to be respectful and quiet while you're speaking. And there are these, these kind of roles that we play every day in all sorts of different applications. We just don't call them games. And well, and it seems to me like we've got way off track, probably from Sinan's main question, which is, you know, now we're in this kind of theoretical abstract, which I'm obviously very guilty of, of taking us there today. But the the idea of, you know, what is a video game and how is it uh, a particular subset maybe of this this larger thing is probably what, you know, more we're after. But as far as rules are considered, you know, in on all of this, um, you know, uh, Yule argues uh, in that book also that, you know, their freedom, if it exists, we may think of it in terms of like like the hack or you know the cheat, but uh, in order for a cheat to be successful or for a hack to actually um, manifest itself, you still need the rule set. In order to cheat, you still need the rules, and so um, that's what makes even um, negating the rules possible. Are still the rules themselves.
0: Sure. I mean, w- really, no, you, know, you haven't diverted much. This is all going to tie in wonderfully to really what I've got in front of me. But uh, <laughs> uh, what's going to be interesting is trying to try and tie into video games. Is going to be the interesting thing with these, with these arguments to tie into you know, specific video games. And I mean, really, this all, this all goes into the first definition I have in front of me, which is courtesy of uh, David Parlett, who's a g- game historian. And uh, his definition's really quite uh, simple. He defines games having ends and means. And by ends, he, he's arguing that a formal game, a game within boundaries and rules, has a winner and that winning is the end of the game and then the means are are the rules and the equipment to do it. So I guess with a video game your your console and controller, for example. And he, he uses that to distinguish it from play, which is informal. And I guess by that he means it no ends and, and no means in, in some well, means maybe, but n- not not strict. Do you think that that definition is enough that just to consider really the idea of a game consisting of rules uh, contest and and goals at the end of the day. Is that, is that enough to constitute a definition of a video game? I don't think that applies
1: anymore. To me. I mean, maybe in the early 80s when you clearly had a goal in every game, you had to do certain things before your lives ran out. I mean, every game has rules. Even the most nonsensical things have rules, but not every game has goals. If you look at something like Nobi Nobi Boy where, I mean, the whole point of that game is to roll around, eat things, poop them out, and fall off this giant cliff that randomly generates every time, there's no real goal to that game unless you count unlocking new planets as a goal but um you can't even do that yourself so i mean it's really just kind of like a sandbox that you can play in and as trevor was saying there are rules to that game even as as open as it is but there really isn't a goal you just kind of play with it and that is a game so i don't really think that definition applies to many of today's current weird games that do come out
3: yeah, Nomi Nomi Boy is a really good example too, where it seems that it doesn't have a. If it has a goal, and I understand exactly the argument you're trying to make here, Joe, and I um, agree with it too, that um, if it has a goal, it's it's not the kind of same conventional goal, especially that we see with with like console games. Um, it, its goal is almost as, almost purely aesthetic. You know, it, its designer is very kind of mercurial and and uh, and. Uh, abstract in the way that he approaches games in the first place. (laughs) You look at something like Katamari, it's a really good example of that. Um, You know, The accumulation of things and continuing to roll them through this virtual world and to see how big you can get um, your ball to roll and will it roll anymore um, is is very kind of absurdist. It seems like it's uh, channeling a little bit of uh, Samuel Beckett, if not a whole bunch of it, where um, it doesn't have that same kind of traditional you will win in this very kind of obviously traditional way.
2: When you talk about winning, also I know uh, the definition only said end, but when you talk about winning, I think about games that are more like stories than than actual contests, and a lot of times at the end, I feel like I'm losing because I'm not playing anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I, I think uh, it's winning is... Uh, can be changed to completion if we're going to be semantic about yeah. it. So, you know, in that sense, you, you have won the game. But it, I, I think... Well, to go then with Nebi Nebi Boy, is there an argument that the player sometimes creates their own goals and therefore, in a the sense, are creating their own games within a game?
3: Well, the, the players always create their own um, their own goals, and I think that was just underscored by what Eddie just said. You know, if, um, if a, there's like a 300-page novel and I'm only struck by 50 pages of it and I stop reading it at the 51st page, um, maybe I, you know... I only wanted to test the water that far, or I fell out of interest with it. Um, that maybe you know the the designer's um, goals. Maybe we should talk, so separate it out this way, where you know the person or the entity that's responsible for creating the thing, the creator, the game designer, whatever, the author, you know, whatever entity you want to put on there. Their goals are they the same thing as the person who experiences it, the reader, the player? And to me, I want to always mash up uh, reading and playing as as being almost. Kind of the same thing and so um, if I skim a novel or if I just run to the back of it and this is always the cheat on, a, on reading right is pick up the novel go to the last page and then read it backwards and see if you can figure out how it all fits together um, that's maybe not necessarily what the author of that book had in mind but it doesn't stop you from experiencing experiencing it the way that you want to
0: it's interesting because that immediately makes me think of Grand Theft Auto which uh, is a franchise which is probably sold on its goals not <laughs> being anything to do with the goals of the game, and I guess in some sense oblivion and a lot of sandbox games really uh, are dependent on player-created goals. Uh, it's interesting to consider relating it to identity. To identity, then, that I think gamers uh, as a community have a problem with games that do not have goals. I think it's something that's uh, is a convention that we even now we still have a little pro- a little bit of a problem evolving past. I mean, would would anyone agree with that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, the, the Wii music backlash is a perfect example. There is no goal to that game. It's just you pick up the instruments, you play them, and then that's it. You have fun doing that, and the backlash against that was enormous.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, th- I feel like I always have to be playing for a reason. There has to be some internal reward for me to play a game, for me to give my time to play a game, and sometimes sometimes not having a, a goal intrinsic to the game experience as it's developed by You know, the creator doesn't take away from that because I can create my own, but in other cases, there's just no motivation to play. So identity is definitely a big part of uh, why we would enjoy or not enjoy a game
3: it seems like a, yeah a lot of that is also cultural too that the sort of western mindset is to is to have something end driven you know to to go to the end of it and to discover it and to you know almost like well the hero's journey is all about this right to to find the uh, the quest item to bring it back and to change your world because of it um we have much a much harder time Looking at things that, that may be more meditative. And I'm, I'm thinking right now of, and people are familiar with, uh, uh, uh Ian Bogos re- released a, uh, Atari VCS simulated game called, uh, uh, Guru Meditation. Anybody seen this yet? He put it on the, the iPhone. And, um, he's also, uh, he actually built ten, um, vintage, uh, Atari uh, consoles and you know, program the, the, the cartridge for it and everything. And the whole uh, gameplay is to get your guru to levitate, to, to hold the controller, or to hold, in case most play, people play it on the iPhone, completely still. You can buy a, an original VCS version of this with a meditation mat and everything. It's all very clever. Um, <laughs> but he, he posted on, I think it was on Gamasutra, just a few days ago, about how somebody demanded their 99 cents back from the iPhone store. Or from the App Store, um, because it uh, you know it d- didn't do the things that that normal you know games do. They, what you're supposed to do with this is to hold it very very still, and um, sort of you know go into this other this other mode of being. That doesn't seem like it's particularly uh, goal driven in the same way that you know we um, tend to think of goals in in uh, in the West. But it very sort of very much um, taps into a, a meditative mindset, and whether that's uh, whether you can sustain that or whether there's an appetite for it, uh, Bogus wrote about that and said, I, you know, this person was very, very upset and wanted their dollar back. Wow,
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, it is, it's fascinating. I mean, it's interesting again, not not to stick too much on the idea of goals because it's going to come up quite a bit in, in this discussion with we Music and say We Fit that there are goals, but. Uh, if we're talking about what the author, the creator has designed, I mean, the, truly the the goal of Wii Music is to improve your musical ability, and I guess that's vague and uh, <laughs> and, and weak. But that is, you know, that was what it was created. If we listen, if we were to believe Miyamoto, that's what he created it with the intention of to do. So I, is is that not a goal?
2: Well, what I was saying before was I feel like when it comes to games like that, the goals um, are really less about what Miyamoto wants, and more about how you use the tool. You know, if you consider that game a tool for your own personal use. And I mean, how many people really pick up we Music and say, "I'm gonna get better at music by using this"? <laughs> oh, come on. One
1: of the
0: same people who pick up
2: Guitar Hero and do the same thing. <laughs>
3: yeah it seems like there's a distinction too we want to make between you know, becoming better at something becoming proficient at something and then simply appreciating something and mm. we're we don't want to spend time appreciating something because it's like well why shouldn't you just do it yourself and be good at it and get paid for it and you know buy your McMansion um, as a result of all those things you know and, and Miyamoto's in this much more meditative space than he was you know a generation ago and he's making Mario games um, he's kind of you know putting this this uh, mindset in front of us and asking us to to you know I don't know step into it and it's it's very kind of strange for us to think of things that way now mm-hmm.
0: sure um okay well we'll we'll move on to our, our second definition then which comes courtesy of uh, Clark C. Apt, who is a uh, off on games, and again, he he points to rules and objectives, goals, which are two of the most common uh, entities in, in these definitions. But he also includes the necessity of activity, uh, and I guess by activity, he's really referring to play. Uh, and uh, he called it within a, a limiting context of rules, and he he was clear to emphasise on decision making uh, that at least one of the two. Uh, there were, he, he he considered that there had to be two decision makers within the game, and that uh, I, I guess with a, even in the, a single player game, I guess you could say that the computer, in a sense, is making decisions as well as the player. But uh, is that really accurate? Do, is, again, it's it's a it's quite a vague definition, and uh, he didn't include what Parla did—the uh, idea of contest or conflict. Uh, so what do we think of Class Clock C App's definition of rules, goals, activity, and decision-making being being the entities of gaming? I think, again, that's part of it. I think, you know, uh,
1: there are just so many different ways to classify a game these days. There's so many different types of experiences you can have, and Sure, decision making is part of many games, but there's also a ton of just mindless run out there and do things. And I I know even in the simplest mindless games, there is some minor decision making happening and there is a goal and there's all that stuff. But, um, I guess if you want to define it as, you know, all of these items at their base model at, you know, the basic decision making skills of I decide that I will turn left at this corner, if you want to call that a decision. Then yeah, that would sort of fit in. But I also think there's a lot of other stuff. Again, like you know, we talked about before, all the different types of new games that really don't fit into any predefined category from the 80s and 90s, which is when a lot of you know modern day quote unquote hardcore gamers uh, played. I think that um, it's hard to classify that into something like that because
0: there are games that don't really require
1: all of those those things.
0: Well, to take a further than decision-making specifically, it would exclude uh, Snakes and Ladders as a game, for example, which is purely on chance. You're not making any decisions. You're sure. just rolling the dice one after the other. Uh, so any games which are purely down to chance are excluded by this definition. I mean, is that fair? Is it fair to exclude Snakes and Ladders as a, as a game?
3: I think it is, because um, uh, maybe not that that particular game and its, you know its exact rule sets, but the idea of things being left up to chance... Um, I don't know how many people have have played tabletop, old-school, you know, pen-and-paper-style RPGs, but, um, you know, the the roll of a dice make uh, all the difference, and they they force you to make a decision if if you're inhabiting um, a space as a role-playing game. And I know this is is an awkward comparison because the, the game you were just, you know, throwing out there, Sinon is obviously not an RPG. Um, and and decision making is obviously at, at the core of, of role play. But uh, you know, there are, there are these arbitrary chance based things that, that occur in RPGs, whether they're tabletop or whether they're in video games now that uh, inspire and, and spur on the, the gameplay and you kind of can't go back and, and change those things.
2: I don't really feel that Decision making is absolutely necessary in a game because, uh, like you said, with Snakes and Ladders, there's no decision making. candy land, you know, simple games like that. Yet they're they're still engaged in for enjoyment. There are still rules. There's still uh, a clearly defined beginning and end, um, and there's still activity. So I don't. I think the activity part is definitely. I think definitely. Um, important, but I don't know about decision-making.
1: What What about something like Dragon's Lair? Like, I have that game memorized because i played it just an insane amount of times in my life, and I'm not actually making decisions unless you count the decision to me to push the button when I know that I have to as a decision, but I, I have them memorized. I can just input the commands and watch the entire game.
0: Is that... Am I playing a game when I do that then, or...? Well, to take it further, Joe, did... I I haven't played the passage, but as far as I understand, you're essentially just going from left to right, and there isn't much more to it than that. I mean, in that sense, you're either making a decision to go right or not, and in some ways, if you're not going right, you're not engaging with the game. So, I don't know, in some ways, maybe decision-making semantically, of course, has to be, I think, a part of video games, but maybe not many video games actually have that much decision-making to them.
2: So there's the decision to participate in it or not The decision to roll the dice The decision to flip the card So it's almost like breaking the fourth wall on a board game When you talk about uh, Snakes and Ladders or Candyland or something like that In that case, then I guess, yeah But I I don't know that I would consider that part of the game itself
3: and some of this might trend back into, you know, like a topic you um, had covered on this show either last week or the week before, Sinan and Joe, where you were talking um, about the influence of Hollywood on games and vice versa, probably more so the influence of Hollywood on games more than the other side of it. And I think this is the real danger for, for games as a, a medium going forward is trying to ape too much of the cinema, um, because exactly what you just said, Eddie, I completely, uh, completely agree with. Of, uh, You know, the... The interaction um, being an option, um, you know, this this passive medium of film that we have is, 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 you know, done really tremendous things to to bring story to like big audiences. But film doesn't really want much more from you than just for you to pay your admission to just sit in the room and be quiet and not try to you know bug anybody. And the more that uh, that games try to you know borrow some of those techniques, I think it is really dangerous because it's. Um, I mean, games aren't films. Um, there's at least a modicum of decision that, that you have to make in order to, to, to spur the game along.
0: Sure, and it just makes me think immediately of um, the guest you had on your last show, uh, Trevor, Lee Alexander, and she wrote recently about games becoming more and more passive. Uh, yeah, And uh, it's, it is, uh, like I said, uh, get, I think decision-making has to intrinsically be part of gaming and video games, but I'm not sure how many... Uh, you know, there are a few games which limit it, and, uh, you know, Metal Gear Solid for quite a lot of it isn't a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh,
2: Maybe if we substitute decision making with interactivity, I would be more inclined to agree with the definition, I think.
0: It's interesting that the next definition, then, from Johan, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name for certain, Huitzinger, who's a Dutch anthropologist, doesn't include interactivity, or, or any kind of activity. He again points to rules, he doesn't point to goals, but he strictly says that games are only for fun, that they mm-hmm. have never any material gain,
3: and that they exist outside of reality.
2: Wow, wow.
0: So
3: is I, thinking I, I, a game? Yeah, yeah, I wonder if the guy's ever had to do any kind of menial paper job, you know, if the guy's ever had to... to. Uh this is when we get all sort of, you know, elitist in a reverse way, <laughs> like, you know, kind of shluppery of having a food service job. You know, if, if you've ever waited tables or if you've ever, like, uh you know, delivered pizzas or something, they just don't hand you the stuff and say, okay, go take it to the customer. You know, there, there's training involved in order to get you to the point where you're competent enough to, to do that on your own, and so, you know... Um, job training we don't call it a game but that's exactly what it is you know military pilots before they jump in the cockpits they have to spend thousands and thousands of hours in virtual simulators before they're even you know thought to be ready to go up in, in a real plane so that, that's that's a definition that obviously just bugs the shit out of me <laughs> Hex
0: and stuff. Um, Joe, does it bug the shit out of you as well?
3: <laughs>
1: well, I mean, uh, along those same lines, then I guess college would be a game as well, and school and high school and, and life itself, so it's kind of strange um, to think about. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I'm like, not into that definition at all. Let, let's break it down then. I mean, I, I completely agree with all three of you that uh, <laughs> really, this it's a, it's a definition that doesn't have uh, much uh, standing, but okay, let's say never for fun, because this is a, a topic which still split certain uh, opinions. I mean, do you think a game can be not for fun, and by what do we define fun as? I
2: say fun is really subjective. I mean, we can say that a game is intended to be fun, but uh, when it comes down to it, you may not have fun playing a game. So, I don't I don't know where fun really comes in in terms of the definition.
3: Yeah, I was going to just piggyback on what Joe said earlier um, just a second ago about you know education being game um, that 's what I do for a living i get I get paid um, to do that, and um, you know it, it has all of the markings of of a game it's just a lot of times it 's not very fun at all <laughs> It has these very arbitrary things that you have to do and um, there's resistance to those things, but completing them and you know achieving the goal and getting the grade and uh, that you know in at least in in our our culture is is considered you know competency you get a degree um, from any you know uh, tech school or any a university, then that um, means that you're ready to go do something that you really have never, ever done before, which is to go get a real job, right? <laughs> sure.
0: I mean, okay, I, I, <laughs> you kind of answered what I would say, so <laughs> I'm going to throw the second one at you then. What about Never for Material Game, which okay, I guess you could relate it to training and education, but what I'm thinking more specifically of is the idea of gambling games, and this is a subject that's really pertinent to video games because uh, just only a few years ago that people were talking about the idea of maybe, you know, uh, first person shooters ha- online having uh, gambling within them so that they'd be set. Uh, I think there is a game now that's, uh, yep. or, yeah, maybe even more than one, which uh, you play for money. If you win, you, you win money.
1: Yep.
0: Is that, I mean, that exists and people would call it a video game, but is it fair to call it a video game?
2: I think it's absolutely a, a video game and a game. It's a. I think a contest, any contest, maybe any contest, is a, a subset of a game.
0: Is it really a game when there's uh, something at stake that in in reality, something that's tangible and, and, and so important like money? So,
2: so that it's no longer leisurely and that there there's definitely something at stake that automatically removes it from the definition of game and not game with something at stake.
0: Right, and to some extent, yeah, leisure is an important word, I think, in that context. Yeah, I I would say leisure is exactly what I would say. It's infringing. But, like,
1: what about if you're not putting anything at risk? Like, what about 1 versus 100, where you don't actually put anything into it, but you can win prizes out of it? Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in uh, Jesper Yule's um, definition, too, he sort of built this this, uh, classic, what he calls a classic game model, and, uh, you know, the big, one of the first pillars of that is what I just already talked about, where the um, the rules and the fiction come together. We said something about consequence in, in the, this this model, too, where the real-life consequences of the game that you play, they're optional and negotiable. So it's not necessarily the consequences that there aren't any. Um, it's that, that you actually uh, uh, acknowledge them and you you see them and then you uh, agree with them and it seems in, in if we're going to take Yule's definition and I know you know that probably wasn't what <laughs> we were wanting to go necessarily, but uh, his uh, his definition certainly applies to the things like gaming and, and gambling for for real money, where you know I have this hundred dollar um, you know bill here and I'm going to put it on the roulette table and uh, I agree by putting it there. I mean it really is a contract if you've ever been in a casino when you put there's a very formal way to put the money down to place the bet. There's a time frame for it. it's all very arbitrary but it's all very carefully controlled to make sure that the rules are are, are very clearly articulated to everyone, and they agree to them. And if you don't agree to them, um, then there are, you know, these, these very serious things that happen to you. So, by that definition, I think that that could really work. Absolutely. And I think it's important
0: to in- consider
3: what, you know what's quantifiable
0: in, in in terms of what you're gambling. And I think, you know, Street Fighter, say, doesn't stop being a video game once someone pa- places a fiver on one particular fight. Uh, it doesn't suddenly become <laughs> a sport or gambling, I think. It's still a game. Uh, but... Well,
3: there you're back into the sort of classical sense of, of agon, you know, the, the competition. This is what, if I'm remembering right, Eddie was just talking about, um, you know, having something at stake could be something very minimal, but also something very large. And it could be your reputation, it could be your life, or it could be just like, you know, your amount of time that you, you thought was being wasted. That's that, that's part of what I think the danger also that's confronting games is um, the, the sort of tyranny of entertainment and the, the tyranny of the, the leisure culture. Um, because that's immediately where even a lot of games critics will go. It's like, well, these are just video games. Is there anything more infuriating to hear those those uh, one-up, uh, uh, you know, vagabonds who, who will, you know, pressed to say something very intelligent about a game that they very clearly haven't finished or played, Bioshock. Um, they'll, oh, well, it's just a game, or Braid, you know. Oh, it's just right. a game, and you know, I had to cheat to get my way through it, or whatever it was. And, um, that, that's very discouraging, you know, to to have it fall back and say, "Well, you know, it's just a medium, just like any other." When it comes right down to it, to kind of see the chinks in their armor, so to speak.
0: I'd, ab- I'd absolutely agree, and I think uh, you just have to look to Joe last week and his reputation as a street fighter after uh, Kyle. Was <laughs> <with Alberta>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, bringing up bad
0: memories again, huh? Sorry, I had to throw that in. there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, well, let, let's move on to the fourth definition then, which is. Kind of similar to the previous one But I think maybe a bit more appreciable <laughs> Than what uh, Hurtzinger had to offer So it's from Roger Cal- Calois uh, A French sociologist He again pointed to No, no Material Game Which we kind of argued against uh, But he then he, In terms of what we are, we're saying leisurely uh, To use Eddie's word he, he pointed to a game being voluntary um, He also said it had to be Outside reality and, and imaginary Which uh, well, <laughs> maybe we can go into that But he did state those as being Two very different things he also said said that it was uncertain uh, that there was the the ends weren't predictable, which again we could relate to the passage. So I'll uh, just to, to summarize. He said that there were rules that there could be no material gain that it existed outside of reality and was imaginary. That it was voluntary and it was uncertain. So let's start. Let's start with voluntary. Then, it, can a video game be compulsory?
2: I, I think I like that. Um his definition saying that it has to be um, voluntary because if you've got a gun to your head and someone's saying play this game, it's not a game anymore. I think that that goes one step beyond the no material gain thing and putting your valuables or whatever at risk. I think that really takes it out of the realm of game whereas the other I would say doesn't really take it out of the realm of game.
3: Yeah, it's almost kind of like into S&M culture with like things like safety words, right? That if (laughs) if there aren't any uh, safety words... Yeah, then, then it's not a game anymore. And I, you know, SNL, I don't, I don't say that flippantly either. You know, that, that, yeah. that culture really is, um, or, you know, those activities really are about, uh, fantasy and, and role play and, and, uh, power games. And when someone doesn't listen to the, to the word or pretends not to hear it or really just doesn't hear it, then it, it, it isn't a game anymore. And then it becomes something oppressive. That's a really interesting idea. That issue of compulsion. Um, how much, uh, is voluntary or not? Yeah. What about the
0: uncertainty element of it? Uh, again, like I said, it, it kind of relates to the passage. And I, I, I guess one one contentious way of looking at it: uh, if we say with Super Mario Brothers, in one way that game's not certain in that you might not complete it, but another way it's predetermined that if you do complete it, you're going to come to the same endpoint each time. Now you could argue that you're going to come, you can come there in different methods, that your play changes between between goes but what is a is a linear game uncertain or uh is the uncertainty within it enough to say that it, it, it there is difference uh, there, there are different things occurring when you're playing it
2: i think the concept of uncertainty is another subjective concept And just like you just said, you may say it's uncertain because I don't know exactly what's next. I don't know if I'm going to fall in this pit. But it's certain in another way, you know, if you get to the end, it's the same end. So I don't feel that uncertainty or certainty should or can really be included in a definition of games. It may be a characteristic depending on how you look at it. But to use it in the definition I think is just not not what we should be doing.
3: It seems to me that um, the player character um, it it, uh, it hi- adheres to certainty that the player character that that you know is being controlled in, in a game is going to do you know specific things because of the rules of the game the uncertainty i think inhabits in in the relationship that the player interactor has with the player character and the person who's holding the controller doesn't know what the player character is about ready to experience so i think if uncertainty um, exists it's, it's probably in that relationship
0: uh let's move on a couple of definitions then to uh greg kostikian who's a designer and writer And uh, he's got one interesting entity uh, with his definition there. He says, games are art. And uh, (laughs) one (laughs) certain podcast member knows that his podcast has been (laughs) uh, (laughs) accused, maybe, (laughs) of uh, touching (laughs) on a subject a a bit. Um, But I think it's relevant to definition, certainly. Uh, So I I will go to Trevor. Trevor, do you think that games are art? Is it necessity to the definition?
3: Is it necessity to the definition? Uh, I don't think so, but I think that I mean it's kind of inherent. Uh, The the games and art debate um, seems to me kind of I don't know. It's like almost a hangover effect from trying to categorize everything. Um, Expression, you know, um, fits within this. I mean, expression communication isn't. Are all art forms. And so I think it depends on what what we're meaning as art. Are we talking about something that's sanctioned by the culture? Something that makes money? Something that has a certain aesthetic effect? Um, you know, I'm definitely in lockstep with Kostikian. And when he says something like that, um, I just think that it's kind of, there are other things to talk about besides that.
2: Yeah, there's a way of whittling it down. Um, that he's just totally not touching on you could say games are art of course they are they were created but um that doesn't tell you anything about what a game is so it's not a definition
3: yeah in comparison to what is it you know are, yeah. are it art in comparison to movies or to you know to literature i mean what are we talking about and the, the stuff becomes so granular and insulated where you know um, you're talking about the Sort of hardcore gamer who who's suspicious of something like We Fit, you know, it's kind of like that thing of of seeing something outside of the boundary. It's like, well, I don't want to talk about games and how they connect to literature. I play games; that's the reason I play them. Is because I don't want to read or whatever. You know, sort of facile thing I'll invent right here is, and that's that's something that's, that's really important to to consider is that you know these things are in the, in the culture at the same time. Um, you know, games and novels and movies and music and the internet and all these different forms of expression and communication, and to kind of lock this one away and say, well, let's have this argument about whether games are art or not. I mean, seriously, come on! We got to grow up and, and have a, a real conversation now.
0: Sure, I mean, <laughs> oh, oh, of course. Just to give a context, is all, all really sparked by uh, uh, Roger Ebert and uh, his Right. Uh, was a moron. Right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'll. Uh, shall I agree? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, go with, I'll go with uh, I agree, maybe not as, as damning. Um, but uh, what I wanted to get was Joe, just to get the other half of the big red potion <laughs> on the games as, uh, as art debate. So, uh, Joe, what do you think of Robert Ebert's accusation of games not being art? Well,
1: I'll, I'll, I'll mention what my friend thought at the time, but when, I believe it was right after Resident Evil, the movie came out, or something along those lines, and he's, he damned games as being, you know, this, never being classified as something called art. Um, he went into a furious rage that lasted about three hours. And this was fun to watch. So, um, and it, it came out during that time that, you know, art is this, is this thing that our society has kind of put up there saying this is, you know, the best of the best. This is what everyone should be looking at and saying and admiring its beauty. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in our society can't look at games like that because they really never experienced them the same way that all of us did. And I think it's going to be hard to win games over as part of this, you know, on the general public's eyes because of that reason. But um, I mean, as as much as movies are, as much as books are, as much as music are, games are still, you know, part of that. They're the same type of thing, a creative, uh, a creative enterprise, just like Trevor mentioned. And um, just because of that, because they exist in this medium, yes, they are, in fact, they could be considered art. But because of such a broad definition, it's really kind of hard to iron on and what exactly they would be within that or what games would fit into that type of category that people have set out there for the definition of art
3: Mm. Two things I'll try to keep real quick, but I, I probably won't. <laughs> the thing is, that, uh, just quickly on Roger Ebert is that he has this um, tendency to talk about things that he very clearly doesn't understand or has never experienced, and, and I mean that that goes with the territory. He's a film critic who watches like you know probably 20 movies a week, and then you know talks about them um, as co- sort of cultural sanction and the stamp that he gives them. Um, and this sort of bore. Uh, uh, came to came to bear when he uh, we were talking about watchmen in a different context here this is really interesting. He wrote a review of the Watchmen movie he really really liked it, and he talked about it in terms of uh, how it captures this this action and um, the characters are really interesting and all this sort of stuff and then up front in his review says well By the way, I've never read the the Watchman graphic novel, but I'm assuming that it's it's interesting and and intelligent. And it's like, well, you can't assume anything if you actually haven't experienced it. And that's a big problem, obviously, with Mr. Ebert. If he's talking about something with the power and the sanction that he has, he has to be a little bit more thoughtful about the way that he talks about things because um, so many people do listen to him.
0: I absolutely agree with uh, what you said about and That maybe I wouldn't necessarily classify him as a moron, but I, I would totally agree that he doesn't <laughs> uh, sample what he talks about, which uh, maybe is quite moronic when you really <laughs> get down to it. But uh, I'm I'm going to abstain <laughs> from calling Regibert <Rajivin, laughs> a moron. Um, just to just to summarise, kind of the definition I'm missing, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping over for people who are interested. Uh, there's one from Ben who is a philosopher. He defined games as having. Uh, being consisting of activity Being voluntary Having goals uh, Rules And being non-productive Which I guess again relates to what we've talked about with training And uh, there's a similar thing from uh, uh, another definition That Chris Crawford has an interesting one of uh, Which we've talked about About uh, games being uh, Involving safety And excluding danger and, and reality And I guess that's what we were talking about When we said that games are uh, not compulsory uh, to move on then to two specific definitions of, uh, Which have come from two games bloggers uh, Let's start with Matthew Gallant Who is a soft, uh, software engineering major At Concordia University He's the author of the Quixotic Engineer blog And he wrote a definition which caught quite a lot of traffic Which was that Video games are software which displays Which displays images On a video screen They are interactive uh, Which I guess we could relate to as activity and play And that they offer either challenge and or art, uh, and hmm. he used the term esthetic response, which I'm deeming art uh, for this. Uh, let's not get into that. Let's call esthetic response. I guess uh, let's leave it at that then. Let's not say it's, it's art. Um, what do you think of that then? That Matthew Gamut's arguing that obviously they're software which displays images on the video screen. It's interactive, and that it offers either challenge or an esthetic response.
2: I think that's a pretty good definition. Um, but he leaves out
0: rules. Uh, that's the only indeed. thing. He does indeed leave, leave out rules. Uh, what do you think, Jay?
1: I was going to say, like, that would probably also include something like Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia, which mm-hmm. fits into all those categories, but I would not call that a game. It's a piece of software, yes, but...
3: Yeah, I was going to immediately go to uh, examples on the web. You know, um, is Wikipedia a video game by by that sense? Um, yeah.
0: Right. Okay, uh, Let's go then onto the second one, which, which was built up upon it from um, Corvus Elrod, who is the author of the Man Bites blog and is a game designer. He, well, he offers a, a, a few uh, sort of uh, standards for this definition. So he, he considers story as being the shared exploration of a relationship over time, which I uh, don't know if we think that's fair enough, uh, that play is the self-guided exploration of possibility within a bounded space, which I personally, I kind of agree with, mm-hmm. uh, and that community is a group of people that hold interests or experiences in common, which I think is fair enough. So he says that game is a set of rules and or conditions established by a community which serves a bounded space, a bounded space sorry for play. Uh, which is, a, I think, is a pretty good definition, but I, I, I'd like to hear my guests' thoughts on it. So I'll just say it again. G- game is a set of rules and or conditions established by a community which serves a bounded space for play
3: yeah and i 'm certainly biased here because uh, not only do I share a city with with Corvus Elrod, but I uh, <laughs> actually had him come to my class um, about a month ago, and he made this very passionate argument um, for that that sort of you know the spirit of that definition where um, what ga- makes games powerful and what makes them important is is how we uh, share them um, how the, the value that they have to our to our culture and uh, trying to you know bring very serious discussions to them if you follow his blog and I know that you guys do listen to his uh, Blogs of the Roundtable podcast. Um, he's very, very serious about uh, the issues that games can raise and how um, playing them can bring us to a, a sort of higher state of, uh, of social awareness of all sorts of things, not just having fun but um, even like really, really dark issues like child abuse or, you know, something something that we normally don't see, you know, in, in gameplay. But... Uh, Possible to take it on.
0: It's fascinating that he brings in community, and I guess this is what you're you're getting at, uh, Trevor. Is that he's what uh, all the definitions we've discussed. He's the only one who's really related it to culture, uh, mm. which I think is really important because uh, I think all games stem from culture, and some, and yeah, I think I think it's an important thing with uh, any kind of artistic medium that culture is an aspect of it, which uh, I don't think any of the definitions above really touched on. Which is close to my guess. Complete. <laughs> <laughs> dunk. <Don't. laughs> Slam dunk. There we go. <laughs> uh. So okay, well, uh, we'll go to Joe then. Joe, on that on our definition, do you think it's it's strong, or do you think that it is missing any components? No,
1: honestly, I mean, that's the one aspect, as you said, that really had been missing for everything else. I mean, gaming is a community. Everything about it is very community-focused, and even the people that only buy a console to play Madden and Grand Theft Auto, they still go into work and they talk about Madden. They play Madden online with other people. They get into the, the whole community aspect of it, and I mean, honestly, gaming has pretty much one of the strongest communities out there for anything. I mean, you can't go anywhere on the internet without seeing something gaming related, some forum that's exploding with people talking about it. You go to something like joystick.com, which has, you know, thousands of people checking it out every day, getting into the culture and really loving every little piece of game cake that they post a picture of that, you know, they jump on top of that and they love it. It's um that's an important part of it. If at least for me, that's an important part of the whole the gaming aspect. And if that didn't exist, I don't know if I would be in as into gaming as I am. And I think that um part of the culture, part of all that is is really what makes gaming as special as it is. And I think that um, without that, gaming would not be anything, really, to even talk
3: about. Yeah, the communal part really can't be overlooked, where, I mean, for me, I think games aren't just about communicating ideas, but they're about trust, you know? Um, Because essentially what we're, I mean, at one level what we're doing, I should say, not essentially, is uh, sort of sitting down, either virtually with another person or another group of people, and and uh, saying, okay, I want you to test me. It's not like Fight Club, but it's kind of like I want you to hit me as hard as you can, and then uh, I won't kill you for doing it, right? So there are these, these uh, issues of... Um well, I mean, that's kind of where play stems from, I guess, in, in one sense. But uh, the issue that uh, I'm going to, to, to trust you to give me some very arbitrary things and a problem to solve, and uh, if I solve it, then you'll either give me something or you'll pat me on the back and that we'll, we'll walk away friends um, at, at some level I think is, is really important. And it's what kind of you know ties us together as human beings, is being being able to have those experiences with each other and, and not to feel too um, slighted by any of it.
2: I feel it hasn't made any jump from game to video game. Was he, was his intention to no, define he, video game or just game?
0: Just game. Um, and I think it's, it's, okay. it's, interesting that we, we haven't really been able to touch on what the video aspect. I mean, is it, going back to Matthew Gallant's definition then, is it fair to just say software which displays images on a video? You know, that, like we said, like I said at the top of the show, virtual reality, actual reality games, uh, which we discuss certainly in the gaming community, uh, are they video games under Matthew's definition?
2: Well, I feel like under that definition, there would still need to be a few more qualifiers to come to a pinpoint. But um, as for Corvus Elrod's definition, what about someone who plays solitaire? Are they not playing a game?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's still, you know, whether the that designer that rule maker is present or not um at least the the essence of of uh the rules um make that person there
2: okay yes he said that it only the uh the community was involved in the description of the rules and not necessarily in the play itself
0: sure it was established by a community and I, i think that's uh Important and it, it whilst we are, we, I think we're quite right in the saying the importance of, you know, of community to gaming is, is very relevant to its definition. I think, in, in to be semantic about it, uh, I think with solitaire, it doesn't really matter if you're playing it solitaire. Mm.
3: Well, if, I think with solitaire, it's not so much about that specific game as as much as why do people continue to play it. And, the, and if I'm understanding uh, Elrod's uh, sort of sensibilities correctly, it's uh, how do these things get passed on how do they get shared? And and why do they get shared? And so something like solitaire, you know, it, it's something that, you know, obviously, you know, you do it by yourself. But uh, there's, there's something, you know, culturally, there's something communally that, that we as human beings, you know, sort of maybe collectively do um, that, that sort of spurs us to play a game like that and then to to share it. You know? And it's really, that's a really interesting example to, to maybe uh, start writing our conversation um, down with, too. Because, you know, solitaire was... Uh, was a game that, that the, the Windows folks... I think they hired an intern, right, to, right, right. Uh, to to build it so it would teach people how to use a mouse because they were moving from, you know, the keyboard to the mouse. And uh, so they put a couple of a games into the, like, Windows 3.1 system, and Solitaire was one of them. If you can figure out how to move the cards around by pointing and clicking, then you're going to be able to run the operating system and all the apps that are on here. So there's, there's more, you know, to just maybe that specific game. Um, um, than its uh, specific, you know, rule features.
0: It's fascinating. I think that's a fantastic thing to end on, the idea of Solitaire being actually a, a training game in some ways for its platform, which uh, <laughs> really ties us to all the discussion we've been uh, having today. And uh, I don't think maybe that we're that much nearer to providing the all-encompassing definition of video games. So, uh, I think maybe in some ways what Corvus has put forward and... Uh, all, all, really, the definitions we've heard, they all go some way to, that, to doing that. And uh, a uh, final question, do you think as gaming evolves, as, as gaming changes, do you think it is really important to, to really pull down the boundaries and say, this is a game and this isn't, or uh, is it good for gaming that it's expanding and evolving and becoming all these new different things? Yeah, I think it's it's
1: good. I mean, it's, it's like every part of, you know... Uh, every part of entertainment that this kind of thing happens if you look at movies the way they were in the beginning it was you know a five minute silent thing that you have to you know turn a wheel to to see but now it's you know become 3d crazy uh movies created entirely within computers that you know someone 100 years ago never could have even imagined and that's the, kind of the same way game is going it's expanding so much and things that you wouldn't have called you know gaming 20 years ago kind of have been invented and, and and now can be played um, similarly to the way we play other games. So I think yeah I think it's it's okay that there isn't a clear definition of gaming because there's so many different facets to it that you know some people like I'm, I consider myself a very you know passionate gamer. Yet there's plenty of different types of gaming that I have never experienced, and I think everyone's like that. So um, yeah, I think it's great that it's expanding, and I really don't think it's a problem that we can't really classify it uh, definitively because there's just so much to it.
2: So. I think when it when it comes to defining video games and what they're becoming, um, it comes down to maybe using the wrong word. Video game implies that it has to be a game, and a video game and a game in general are not necessarily the same thing. A video game can, as it is now, you have you know something like personal trainer, cooking. People consider that a video game. I might consider it an application, but. Sure. Under the, if we were to put it in a blanket category, it wouldn't be a video game. It would be something else that we haven't created a word for.
3: Mm-hmm. Something, yeah, along those lines a little bit too. Um, something that I worry about is, and especially you know, as a teacher and academic too, is getting too wrapped up in these definitions and this sort of categorization activity, because the more that we um, sort of, I mean, the, the conversation about whether this is a game or not is a worthwhile conversation as long as it leads to another conversation. And what what I'm worried about is that it it very often just ends there. It's like, well, this is a game or this isn't. We fit not a game. Stupid. That's the end of that. And and again, there's a kind of consumerist uh, attitude. It's like, well, if you don't like it, then it doesn't matter. And there's, a lot of that has to change for us to have real intelligent conversations. And maybe like, there's a lot of us that, that don't care about intelligent conversations, but I know there's quite a few of us who really do that want to talk about more than, hey, did you like that game? Was that cool? There's got to be more to talk about, right? And so the categorizations are, are helpful if they allow us to have a deeper conversation about what the game means or why did the culture produce it in the first place other than the obvious reasons to make us laugh, to get some money out of us, and then to get us prepped to buy something else because that's like just about everything else in our culture so what is it that you know maybe is trying to say in Metal Gear Solid that seems to be a much more interesting conversation than hey is he making a film or making a game I mean play the game for five minutes I mean that that, that kind of answers itself what doesn't answer itself is what does it mean
0: you know I, I wrote an article earlier this week about WeFit and it being the top of this charts and uh, saying that maybe we need to reconsider the, the, the definitions of what a video game is but I think what we're all arguing is that it's uh excluding it uh without even trying it is pretty much the worst thing you can do so uh mm. for those uh, people who are ju- judging and damning we fit uh, as not being a video game shame on you <laughs> at least try it before you you judge it uh and uh i think you might be pleasantly surprised actually uh but anyway that's a completely different tangent uh I'm not going to ask that question. I would do that at the top of the show after what Trevor said about <laughs> and the uh, conversation after conversation. Oh no! After don't do that. now. No, don't do that, sir. <laughs> Just being the contrarian, now. Uh, right. Well, why not then? Okay. So let's let's close on that then. Joe, we <laughs> fit video game or not?
1: Ah, oh, you got to go to me first. Yeah. We um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say yes. Eddie.
2: Yep, i still say it's a game And Trevor
0: Yeah, not
3: just Fantastic ah.
0: Okay, well I don't know how long this show's been Because I lost all track of time But I was enjoying it so much uh, I hope this isn't going to be pretty like long. be long yeah, It's <laughs> another epic uh, Joe, Eddie, Trevor Thank you so much for a fantastic show um, Joe, I'll go to you first Because I'd love you to talk about what you're going to be doing Next week at E3 for this podcast I'm going to try and
1: assemble a couple of people at E3 to do a quick show talking about um, whether E3 means anything anymore, whether it's necessary uh, for the medium, and and uh, in which way should it be presented, uh, as opposed to last year, which where it was this very small show that only a couple thousand people got to go to, and this year, it's this massive thing again, uh, this beast that 30-something thousand people will be attending. Um, so we're going to basically uh, talk about uh, the worthiness of E3.
0: Wow. Not going to be touching on whether Metal Gear Solid is coming to the Xbox 360? Well, maybe. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well, that was the other thing that we needed to talk about with Metal Gear Solid. I mean, forget all that stuff about meaning and Kojima's aesthetic. I mean, whether it's coming to 360, that's the important thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, well, we'll make sure to include that on the E3 show. Um, okay. Eddie, do you want to t- tell us all about your new podcast?
2: My new podcast is uh, called the Versus Node Podcast uh, at GamerNode.com, and I've actually taken some influence from from uh, Big Red Potion because I like the the intelligent discussion. But we also go through a few little news bits and what we've been playing, and we're planning on adding a few extra um, segments in the future. Um, and we generally find an, a topic. Similarly to you guys here, and talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And it's and, uh, every other week. So where, where can people find that?
2: That's at GamerNode.com dot um, I don't know the exact address, but it's right on the homepage of GamerNode. You just click on podcast, and there it is.
0: And uh, Trevor, you've just had a one of my favorite episodes of uh, First World Rebate uh, with Lee Alexander, one of my favorite writers. Uh, just it was fantastic talking about. Uh, the evolution of journalism in, in the internet space, and it was superb. So, uh, please tell people about your podcast so that I can uh, you, we can send people there and they can enjoy that episode.
3: Oh, thanks, thanks for listening to that too. Um, yeah, first of all uh, first wall rebate, um, hosted by uh, myself, Shane Hinton, who you've had on before, and Sean Ryder, and we're at uh, firstwallrebate.com. Uh, We also have a a Twitter profile. We have a Facebook group. Um, We're going to be starting up a a book club, Um, again, the third installment of this. We started um, uh, this about a year ago, and we're going to start our our third selection pretty soon. So if you uh, enjoy this podcast you're listening to right here, then uh, bump over and uh, join us. Absolutely. And if you want to find
0: more about uh, Trevor himself, you can go to trevordodge.com. Uh, I think it's male hipster leering if I'm right That (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that is, yeah yeah. Do you want to explain what that means?
3: (laughs) Uh, Sure, yeah It's uh, it's kind of like reclaiming the negative Um, uh, My first book of uh, short stories came out about two years ago Um, two or three years ago and it was a review that that came out that was mostly laudatory but uh, accused me of being a a male hipster leer so um, (laughs) i just just decided to to take that at at full advantage Like, go yeah that actually sounds about right that sounds right (laughs) excellent stuff okay
0: um so joe final thoughts for this week Uh, Just two. uh, One, to my girlfriend, Ashley,
1: who's been sick for the past couple days. I hope she feels better. And uh, to Jamba Juice for pilfering dozens of my dollars recently because they have fantastic smoothies. Ah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Definitely. Uh, just to say for me I, I won't be on the E3 podcast next week because I live in London and uh, so you'll join Joe and whoever are next week uh, and I'll talk to you all in two weeks time so until then take care, bye for now